This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from beautiful Waikiki Beach on the island of Oahu in the most wonderful island chain in the world, the Hawaiian Islands. And we're continuing our 49 days in a row celebration of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And this is going to be something I'm going to attempt to do. Uh, If you're listening to this on the day of release, it's Saturday. We're going to go to Hawaii every Saturday because being back home, uh, being around so many of my friends, and there's so much to talk about about in our beautiful state of Hawaii, I'm going to do a Hawaii show every Saturday. At least I will attempt to do a show every Saturday. I have a busy travel schedule in the coming months. We'll be going to Washington, D.C., um, Poland, back to Ukraine, um, Pakistan, and and maybe some of its neighboring countries. We'll talk to you about that later as I um, campaign for the Vulnerable People Project. Today, my guest is State Representative Bob McDermott, Hawaii State Representative Bob McDermott. He is running for United States. States Senate. We're going to be talking to him about some issues that are very important for Hawaii, but trust me, they're very important for the security and safety of the United States of America. This episode is being brought to you by MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com, use the code Jones, and get deep, deep discounts on all of Mike Lindell's amazing products. And you know, there's no better way to celebrate the overturning of Roe v. Wade then a mattress topper. <laughs> you got to get that mattress topper. I love the mattress topper. Mike Lindell has stood with us. Can you imagine? He had a lot to lose, a lot to risk. They're canceling that guy, but it's not working because we love him. And show your love by going to MyPillow.com. Use the code Jones. Get the Giza Dream Sheets. Get the pillows. Get the mattress toppers. I think if you're a grown man and you wear a robe, you're kind of a weirdo, but they have great robes too. Um, this episode is also being brought to you by Epoch Times. Every morning, the first place I go is Epoch Times. Go to iReadEpoch.com. Use the code Jason Jones. What I do, you see, because I'm an evangelist, is I get the digital and print subscription. I use the digital subscription so I can read it and share it on social media. But the print edition is so I can sit around with my family and read the paper, clip articles out, and give them to my friends in the neighborhood. So use Jason Jones, get the digital subscription, And you know, this program was launched to advance my apostolate, which is to stand in solidarity with the vulnerable. And this show is sponsored, our main sponsor is the Vulnerable People Project. We stand in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world when it is most challenging. When other groups are gone, we're there. We are the only Western organization left in Afghanistan today. I'm going to show State Representative McDermott. We're building, can you believe this? We're building women's centers, women medical centers right now in Afghanistan. We're supporting women's schools. This week, we installed security cameras and a security team to defend uh, 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 schools for girls. And our well at our new women's clinic is being dug by manual labor today so that these women can have a fresh water source in a very remote region in the only center medical center that will serve women. That is what we do from the child in the womb to women in the most remote parts of Afghanistan, orphans in shelters in Western Ukraine. We have, this year has been the hardest year, of course, for our organization since we've been founded. It's been a bit overwhelming. We're one of only a few organizations operating in Ukraine. 
the only organization operating in Afghanistan. And when you become a monthly donor, that allows us to give support to these vulnerable communities. So go to thegreatcampaign.org, give your best one-time gift, and become a monthly donor. All right, here we go with State Representative Bob McDermott on the Jason Jones Show. Aloha, Representative McDermott. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Great to be here. And it's also uh, very rewarding to see you because we met probably 25 years ago when you were a young college student doing right for life, right to life down there in, uh, in a wasteland down by the University of Hawaii. And you were all by yourself with long hair and crusading for life. And this is 25 years ago. So now... I'm very happy that Roe versus Wade has been overturned, but I'm also very happy for you on a personal level because this has been your life's mission. Well, you're a mentor of mine. You know, being in Hawaii for this, because you know I started as a 17-year-old boy going door-to-door in Wahiwa, and then as director of Hawaii Right to Life and at the University of Hawaii with the Pro-Life Student Union. And I went to a pastor's conference on Saturday, and I saw so many of my mentors there, uh, Stephen Hoke and Garrett Hashimoto was sick and he couldn't be there, uh, Leon Sue. So many great men that I met as a young boy. And you know, I mean, this isn't hyperbole. I was, I was kind of wreckage. I was kind of a wild, angry young man. And, um, and men like you and Garrett and Hashimoto and, and Mike Gabbard and others, you know, um, didn't shun me, which you probably should have. I remember the first time I met you, I had just been elected chairman of the College Republicans. And you had a show on public access. You were a big hero of mine. I'd listen to Rush. I'd watch you on public access listen to Rick Hamada on conservative talk radio. And I came in and he looked at me and you said, okay, the first thing you got to cut that hair. You need a haircut. <laughs> you need a haircut. Yeah. I'm, you know, I appreciate you saying I'm one of your heroes, but I'm, I'm sure, uh, uh, Mitch Kale's not one of your heroes. There's a name from the past. We won't go into it. <laughs> you want, do you want to tell folks why well, I brought yeah, up this for so, you? Uh, Jason was a, and if I get the story wrong, uh, correct me, but he was a staffer for this, uh, late, great guy, uh, Mark Moses, who was a Marine Vietnam veteran, state representative, a Republican, uh, a fellow traveler of mine ideologically, and you were working for him. And uh, I think, was it Good Friday? I I don't know. The legislative session had just ended. And as you know, Representative Moses was a taskmaster. Never stopped working. And he never made me stop working. I had to read every bill. I had to give him my how I would vote on every bill. And how many bills are there every session? Thousands. And I'd have Several to read every thousands. bill. And I'd, have to, and I'd have to write two or three sentences on how I voted. And we would go over every bill together, yeah. bill by bill. Well, he had just had a stroke because he'd been battling with lupus, just got out of the hospital. And so I hear scraping at the door. You could take it from there. I hear scraping at the door. And in my mind, uh, State Rep, who I loved. I mean, I loved this man. And he was one of the most noble men I've ever met. And I just pictured him having a stroke again, and he was reaching for the door. And then I hear scraping, and then you can go from there. So so Mark was Jewish, and on his door he had symbols, welcoming symbols of all the religions, the fish for the Christian, Star of David, and even the, uh, the I'm sorry, I keep banging your table, the, <laughs> the Muslim, uh, the crescent moon, yeah. right? And so this guy, Mitch Kale, was his whole life was devoted to removing Christianity uh, from 
public square or any religion for that matter. And so he came to scrape these things off and uh, you told him, hey, stop that. This is private property. As the court ruled, it was his rep's personal door. There's the public door and the rep's door, and this was his personal door. Oh, I didn't, see, I didn't know that detail. Mm-hmm. So you told him to stop it, and he wouldn't. And then you, as The Rock would say, you proceeded to lay the smack it down on him. <laughs> this became a national news story. Of course, of course, you were much younger then, of course. And imprudent. And I got to say, I liked the guy a lot. He was really kind of a charming, winsome guy when he was younger. He seemed to get kind of weird later on in life. Who, who Kale? Yeah. Um, you know, he, and I was an atheist at the time. I want to say I wasn't a Christian yet. If you remember, I was an atheist and Mitch and I would talk a lot and I liked him. I even felt bad about what had happened. Um, but it became a national news story. The state ruled in my favor. It it was a big hubble. He he would come around on good Friday. What, what people on the mainland don't know is that in Hawaii, good Friday is a holiday. And the anti-faith people have tried to get it removed for years. But here's the beauty. The unions negotiated into their contract back in the 30s and 40s, and you know, because we have a very strong Catholic presence here. And so Good Friday was a negotiated state holiday. So as often as they took it to the courts, they could never get it removed because it wasn't a decree from the state. It was a negotiated benefit for the unions that they wanted. And, of course, they're not going to give back any holidays. So to this day, Good Friday is a state holiday in the state of Hawaii. I happened to be working one Good Friday down at the Capitol, down there for a couple hours, uh, trying to get caught up, because that's kind of like the the middle to the end of the legislative session. And here comes this guy, Mitch, Kale, and he's he has a toga on, and carrying a, oh, yeah. <laughs> carrying a around ball. this facsimile cross, and he comes to the door, and he's bloody and everything, and he says, uh, why are you celebrating my death? You know, and yeah. he, that's that's the kind of guy he was. So it's a strange ranger. Yeah, and I didn't know him personally. And, and I, I bet there was something personal in his childhood or something, I, you know, that made him so anti-religious. I don't want to talk too much about that guy. Yeah. But, you know, that was something that's interesting about Hawaii, I mean, you think in the 30s, you had the Portuguese, you had, the, of course, the large Filipino population. There had been, this was uh, a, a very Protestant community. There had been a lot of anti-Catholic bigotry. In fact, France shelled Honolulu Harbor in 1848. I don't know if you know this. No. They shelled Honolulu Harbor until uh, the king signed a decree guaranteeing that the rights of Catholics would be protected. Mm-hmm. There, had been, there were Catholics were martyred in Hawaii. I, I do know that. And um, so... That makes sense that the unions, which were probably predominantly Catholic, yes. and the the WASPs, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants that ruled the state at the time, that makes sense that they pushed and said, hey, we want this Good Friday. And I did not know it was negotiated by the labor unions. Yeah. Really, Hawaii, I mean, all politics is local. I've done campaigns in a lot of states across the country. And, and it's true about every state that state to state is different. Wisconsin is different than, than Minnesota. Minnesota is different than Iowa. But Hawaii is, 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 I say, it's almost another world. It's a different civilization almost. Our politics is quite different. You, you know, Jason, we're probably, we're very, not probably, we're a very, very uh, blue state, if you will. But the people are socially conservative. There's two states that don't have gambling, any sort of gaming. And notice how I said gaming, right? That's a politically correct phrase now. There's Hawaii and Utah. Those are the only two states and it's our people 
when we had a same-sex marriage back uh, 20 years ago, a, a constitutional amendment on it, the people voted like 78% no. More than any other state. I tell folks oh. we're probably the second most conservative state in the union after Louisiana. And Louisiana is the only state that I would say kind of compares ours. The Kincaidian culture and Hawaii culture, family, food, God. Um, this is what Hawaii is about. But we're but because of our our um, Asian influence, we're much more compliant. So when it comes to mandates and things like that that you were involved in, we kind of just shut up and take it because there's an old philosophical saying, you know, the the nail that protrudes gets hammered down, right? So the the guy sticking up gets hammered down. You chop down the tall poppy, and it's that communitarian. Um, it's a, it's a conservatism, but it's not an Anglo-American conservatism. It's a Pacific Islander conservatism, which is quite unique, but we are a conservative state and we have not had elected representatives that have gone on to Washington that have represented our values. No, they have when they're in the state legislature, even Maisie Hirono and others that are friends, you know, crazy Maisie. I had a friendship with her. I don't know if you were friends with Maisie when she, but they go to Washington and it's as if. I say they're Tiki Dow stamped with made in Massachusetts or something on it. They, they, they start carrying the values um, that are not representative of the communities that they, that they come from. And, you know, the Hawaii, I don't want to delve into this, but you know that Senator Inouye wanted to run as a young man as a Republican. Yes. And the party turned at the back. time was run by these wasps and turned him away. He didn't ever, he never wanted to run as the, the party of segregation and the party of internment. And that was a that was this would have been that's ironic. I didn't even think of that. No, he did. He out. begged to run as a Republican. I didn't know that. And these goombashes, you know, well, they, I felt that they drive Mike Gabbard out of the party. And now, the I would say one of the most influential and I wouldn't say one of the most influential politicians in the world is his daughter Tulsi Gabbard has that D by her name, you know. So the party locally has made a lot of mistakes, mm-hmm. um, but the one guy there have been a few guys that have I've I felt that have really uniquely represented the values of Hawaii, um, courageously. Interestingly, they're Holly guys. There's Mayor Frank Fossey, you know, the, and Mark Moses, and you. No, very, why why do you think that is? Well, why do you think, if you look at the guys that have had the courage to stand up against the, the, the mainland establishment that comes over here with its strings? So I think very much, just like you, Jason, I, I would, a blue-collar republicanism, uh, a Reagan Democrat, if you will. Uh, a, Reagan won Hawaii. Yeah, he was the last. Well, Linda Lingle did too. Uh, she was the last Republican to carry Hawaii, but before her, it was Reagan, nineteen eighty four landslide. So this, if you can break through the noise and convince them that you support the working men and women, at the same time you have a, a moral clarity. They don't want their kids being taught this rubbish in schools. I, I want to point out something to your viewers that I, I've thought about the last couple of weeks. Um, why is this transgenderism ideology popping up everywhere from West Virginia to Virginia to California to Arizona and uh, even in Hawaii? Why is this popping up? Because all this money for COVID to the DOE came attached with strings. And the strings are this, it's called SEL, S-E-L, social environmental learning. And so this is, a. but here they're very smart. 
This is a set of guidelines that they give to the the schools, what they want to see. But there's no specificity like a curriculum that says the anus is a genital or teach this or teach that. Now, people who don't know, you you discovered this and revealed it to the people of Hawaii. Eight years ago. Yeah, you just... By the way, when you address this stuff publicly, you look like a kook just talking about it, right? I mean, it's crazy stuff. <laughs> you think so. You're, Can you tell people what, what you just said sounds so, like? What did this guy just say? So, so backtrack. You okay. just said the anus is a genital. Yeah, so out of – and if you Google it, that's what you'll find. But it's not. It's part of the gastrointestinal tract, right? Anybody who's ever eaten a can of beans knows what are you, that. What are you, <laughs> next thing you're going to tell me you know what a woman is. What are you, a yeah, biologist? What are you, a biologist? <laughs> Anyway, about eight years ago, we had this program. It was out of the Obama administration called Pono Choices, which means righteous choices. And it was a, I'm just going to, we don't have a lot of time. It was a grooming program. They're teaching 10-year-old kids about the finer points. And I'm, Jason, when I say the finer points, I mean, how much lube to use when you're having anal sex? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got to put a warning on this show. Okay. I'm sorry. But that's, so 10-year-olds. So you're a little uncomfortable talking about it. Imagine me talking about it. In fact, I had some of the materials behind my desk one day in the state capitol. And in came the delegation from AARP to talk to me about some related issue. And they were all older ladies. And they looked back and saw this poster behind my desk, which was a blow-up of one of the worksheets. And they said, oh, my goodness, what is that? You know, they were shocked. I said, geez, I'm sorry, ladies. And I took it down. But that's what we're teaching your 10-year-old kids. And now... so And it taught them to keep it a secret. Yes. That was crazy. You, you are a 10-year-old. You are in charge of your sexual lifestyle. And, the attorney, and if you have sexual relations, keep it a secret. That's your business. If that's not a grooming program. That's your business. Isn't that what groomers say? Yeah. This is our secret. This is don't tell anybody. Yes. And you are told, And this is in a curriculum. This is what, That's the mistake they made back then, so they've learned from it. I'll tell you how they get around it. So they had this stuff articulated in the curriculum of what was to be taught to the children. And just like you said, wait a minute. This is something's wrong here. You're telling the kids that every behavior is of the same value and equal. It's not. You're you're misleading them on the risks of these various sexual behaviors. For example, if you told a young teenage girl that if she has fellatio with five or more boys, she has a 200% greater risk of oral cancer She's going to be a lot more selective in what she does and who she does it with. But we don't tell her that. We just say, make sure there's a condom on and um, you don't want to get, you know, venereal disease or STDs or HPV. STI. Yeah, STIs. Not disease anymore. It's an infection, which is a lower grade, right? So one of the things I learned in all this is HPV. What the hell is HPV? What? HPV? Human papillomavirus. You know, they're vaccinating girls now. We they mandated in the state of Hawaii now that every girl going to seventh grade or every student, boy and girl, has to get an HPV vaccine. People don't know about this because it happened on the heels of COVID. What is HPV? Folks, it's genital warts. Okay, genital warts. So if they told, and and I use girls because girls are always the losers in these sexual escapades. Mother Nature's not a feminist. No. And so if you told a young girl that if 
if you have unprotected sex just one time, you could get genital warts for life. When you say genital warts, they're like, ew, icky, sticky. I don't want any part of that, right? Yeah. But if you just say, well, just make sure your partner has a condom. and But they can still get HPV even if your partner has a condom on. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's highly communicable. Yeah. And so, um, no, so they don't want to tell the truth. But I want to move but, on. But how did we get? To, let me go back to this. Okay, okay. Because I want to get to what's going on. National now? security in Hawaii. Okay, and, and, but and real the, quick, how they're getting around it now, Jason, nationally, and why it's popping up everywhere. Yeah, is they provide supplemental materials to the through the teachers union, and this is what you got to teach. But it's not through the government. These are recommended supplemental materials, and guess who they're created by. Your favorite group, Planned Parenthood. <laughs> that group is a menace. They're a menace. They are. And they say and they say, here's the other thing. They say age appropriate. Well, I did some digging in. Who determines it's age appropriate? Well, Planned Parenthood determines it. Oh, Planned Parenthood. That's like the chicken watching the hen house. I once asked these Planned Parenthood, and I'll get off this in a minute. Why why are you telling ten year old kids? a 10-year-old girl about birth control or how to get an abortion or anal sex and all this. So imagine a middle-aged, raggedy-haggedy-looking white lady, and she says, because they need the services. <laughs> and it's just so bizarre. And as and parents, it doesn't matter. you As a parent today, particularly under the Biden administration, as we transition to national... You have no rights. The Attorney General under Biden in April or May sent out a memo, I don't know if you saw it, that said, if your minor child wants to have a sex change, as a parent, you've got no business telling them no. They have a constitutional right to have this quote-unquote gender-affirming surgery, which is gender mutilation. And it's tragic. It's just tragic. So that gives them cover. The lefties. My article that just came out yesterday over at thestream.org, I said that the Democrat Party is controlled by aliens. I mean, any party that wants to, you know, convince children to mutilate themselves is bizarre. I mean, this is, and again, even talking about it, you sound nuts because most folks aren't thinking about this stuff. So I want to get to this. You know, there was a time when the Democrat Party fought for clean water. They fought for clean air. They fought for the labor union. They were they, the labor unions don't even represent workers anymore. The labor unions are more in, are obsessed with um, gender ideology and, yeah. and all this nonsense. So the workers don't have advocates. Who's fighting for rivers and streams? They're talking about global warming. They're not talking about uh, authentic actual pollution. Let me ask you okay. a question because you said I could ask you anything. Yeah, yeah. So you travel in these intellectual circles, you travel in all of these circles, but you're with these different folks. And I'm sure you talk to your adversaries on occasion. What is motivating them to do this gender ideology and this destruction of the family? Well, Bob, you know me, I have friends that are every letter in that alphabet they've invented, you know, close friends, people I love and adore. They don't believe in this. They think it's crazy. I mean, Whatever trans is, okay, do you think that most people who identify as trans would support 
transgender story hour? Do you, you, if you were to poll people who identified as trans, do you think most of them would think, you know, you know what's a good idea? That we read stories to kids in libraries? No. Do you in know? Their, in their full RuPaul getup, right? Yeah. In their full, their full drag getup. Yeah, yeah, no. There was an article that came out this week <laughs> from a, someone on the left that, uh, no, it was not, no, I'm sorry, it was a, it was a, Instagram or TikTok rant from someone on the left that said, you know who we need to blame for the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Ourselves. Because we've been crazy advocating abortion up to birth and after birth. We're scaring people. So again, that's why in my article, I mean, I'm kidding, okay? I don't want you I don't want someone to go out there and say Jason Jones thinks that aliens have hacked the brains of the Democrat Party, but that's the only explanation, right? I mean it doesn't make what they're advocating doesn't make any sense. So the Democrat Party used to be the the party that would battle for workers, right? In Hawaii in, or in the East Coast, how did the Catholics or and the, and the Irish and the Italians and the Jews become Democrats when it was the party of slavery and segregation? Well, it's because the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants who love talking about civil rights for the black people in the South were stomping on the Irish, the you know, and the Italians and the Jews. The same white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, Republicans in Hawaii in the 40s and 50s, told Senator Inouye to, to take a hike. And so what happened was you had this strange alliance in the Democrat Party. You had Catholics and Jews. In Hawaii, we had all of these immigrant communities join the party at the time that was the party of Jim Crow, the party of Wallace, the party of segregation and slavery. All right, that's not the Democrat Party anymore. They used to be the party where real people like radically concerned about the environment lived they know now it's global warming which is gobbledygook but there are real environmental issues and in hawaii and this is a national issue because it's about national security hawaii is how we project power to the east um this is the pacific century or the, the west my point of view <laughs> yeah to the west so it's how we project power and um there was an environmental catastrophe that you're going to get no credit for shining Zero. the light on. It. Zero credit. <laughs> and I, it, I watched it happen. I watched it from. I told you about it ahead of time. You, you were on my podcast. You, you thought I was crazy. Yeah, Bob, I thought you were crazy. Bob, what are you talking about? Nobody cares. Bob, you <laughs> came on my show. I, I think I was probably the first, like, you na- the, only one. the national or global uh, platform to talk about this. Yeah. Then it became the biggest issue in Hawaii. And, and it was. It was comparable to Flint, Michigan, maybe greater than Flint, Michigan, because you're talking about contaminating the water of a state. Worse, yeah. yeah. So can you tell everyone what happened? You broke the story. You fought for it, and they wrestled control away from you and managed it. Well, so a couple things. One, like you, I'm a veteran. Okay, so that's important to this story because it means we love our country. We're served. You were the head of the Navy League. Yeah, I was, I was a Marine for eight years, uh, four as an officer, four enlisted. I have two sons in the Navy. Uh, like one of your sons is a veteran um, who I knew since he was like four years old. That's <laughs> how old we are. Uh, but I have another son who's an active duty Marine and another son who's a Marine veteran. And I ran this nonprofit called the Navy League, where we recognize the sea services. Sorry, Army. I'm, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know that much about the Army. Uh, I do know more than the average guy, but n- not as much as you, clearly. But so I have credibility with the military community. Everybody knows Bob's the military guy, 
right? Recognition. Every year I recognize Vietnam veterans. I did it again this year, even with COVID. I did it outside. Uh, I love our men and women in uniform. I don't like what's happening on the national level, the Petri dish that the military has become. And you can see recruiting's down by 29%. So who wants to get lectured? Yeah. And about when my son was fighting ISIS in Iraq and Syria, he'd go, dad, they pull me back every couple of weeks to take classes on gender. Oh my gosh. That's, that's horrible, but believable. Um, so long story short in during world war two, they had to, they built these fuel containers. Uh, and when I say containers, they're huge. They're as tall as Aloha Tower. Uh, actually, 100 feet higher than Aloha Tower, which is so about 300 feet high. And each of them hold about 12 million gallons of fuel oil. It's an engineering marvel. They built them in the side of these volcanic mountains. I've been in them. Yeah, we both have. Yeah, you brought me there. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and it's an engineering marvel considering how they did it in World War II. And it was secret. It looks like something out of a Bond movie. Yes. And there's 12 of these things, and they hold about 200 million gallons of fuel. Unfortunately, it was built in 1942, and they built it 100 feet, 100 feet above our aquifer. Explain what an aquifer is. It's uh, underground freshwater where you get the island is effectively a huge aquifer it is the volcano and it takes 25 years for a drop of rainwater to go through the volcanic rock and it it ends up in these pristine caves that's the aquifer that's where we get our water our water is the cleanest was the cleanest water on earth it's delicious it's actually really good Guys bottle it. They put it in a bottle and they sell it. Hawaiian water. I tell my friends, the bottled water you drink on the mainland has more crap in it than what we wash our cars with. Exactly. So they build it. So after 100 years, Jason, this thing starts leaking, right? In fact, the Navy did studies. It leaks 5,400 gallons a year. Just the tanks through metal fatigue, creaks, cracks. You know, you get it. You're a smart guy. Well, where's that oil go? Well, it goes into the ground. Uh, And... It takes a while to get to the water table. Well, I was talking to this the Board of Water Supply director, Ernie Lau. I said, Ernie, how's Red Hill going? He says, read my court filing. I said, okay, because they were going through permitting. And I read the court filing. I about fell out of my chair. And I'm not a congressman. I'm a state representative from Little Eva Beach worried about enough classroom seats for the kids. And I look at this. I called him up. I said, Ernie. I don't know how you sleep at night. This thing is ready to blow. And he said, well, thanks, Rep. I said, look, I'm going to shut this thing down. Well, whatever you can do. Right? He didn't know Bob McDermott. <laughs> I, I, I laughed. I, it was in my garage in Coppola when you first discovered <laughs> yeah. this. It's 900 degrees there. This yes. is a better place to record than there, I guess. Yes. Yeah, record. My back was really bad, too. But oh, yeah. Okay. So, And you're telling me this, and I'm looking at you like, if this were true... You they'd, thought I was crazy. They'd be on it. I said, Jason, I'm going to run for the Senate on this issue. And you said, okay, good good luck. You know, I mean, you were nice about it. I don't, yeah, I but in my mind, I, I was like, I, yeah, I, I, I hope I wasn't conveying. No, no. But inside, I was like, this can't be real. It's unbelievable. Yeah, so we have 200 million gallons of oil, 100 feet above our water source. Leaking how many gallons again? 5,400 a year. I'm sorry, 5,800 a year. And that's from the Navy's own study. That's the Navy's numbers. So I said, we got to shut this down. This this is crazy. And they had a leak of 20-some thousand gallons in 2014. 
So I said, this thing is too old. We don't need to hide from the Japanese anymore where our oil is. That's okay. We can build it other places, but it's going to cost four to ten billion to move it. That's less than the amount of we- um, weapons we gave the Taliban. Yeah, yeah, they gave them eighty-five. It's less million. than the rail. Yeah, yeah, the rail. Well, the rail is about ten billion, but this well, less is, than what the rail was supposed to be. <laughs> but but you bring up Anoe. So here's Dan Anoe. He was a Democrat. But guess what? He was best friends with Bob Dole, Ted Stevens. These are guys are World War II veterans. If Anoe was alive, this thing would be solved already. But we have hyper-partisan people like Maisie Hirono and Senator Schatz, my opponent, who is Schumer's right-hand man. All they do is ridicule the other side. If I did that in the state legislature, first of all, I'm not allowed to. You just can't do that on the floor. There's decorum and rules. You can't impugn someone's motive. Well, And it goes against the culture of Hawaii. It goes against the culture If they of behaved here in the state legislature the way they behave in Washington, they'd have been out on their keister. Yeah. And, and I'll t- t- tell you, it, it, you can become friends with people because you're only attacking the idea, not their motivation for the idea. But anyway, so I go on TV. First of all, I tried to go through the paper. They froze me out. I had the military reporter, Bill Cole, write a story. I said, Bill, we need to declare a state, state of an emergency. we got to get this thing fixed and right away. We're going to have a catastrophe. Two, as you know, because you're media savvy, the guy was on the phone with me two days in a row for like two hours. He wants to do the story. Plus, he had my release. He calls me up on Friday. And this is after an op-ed that I submitted a May before the big leak uh, was turned down. I said, why they turn it down? Well, they said, it's you know, you have your own platform elected. Okay. So I talked to Bill Cole. I said, Bill, I'm going to write a letter to the governor. This is what I'm going to tell him. I want to give you an exclusive. He said, great. On the phone with me. He's hot, hot for the story. Calls me up on a Friday. Uh, we, we decided we're going to go slow on this. Oh, well, when are you going to put it out? Monday, Tuesday? No, we're not going to put it out at all. What? Bill, what? What are you talking about? Well, they don't think it's realistic or newsworthy. Within 30 days, the congressional delegation was asking the president for a state of emergency. So what I, because of what I did, I went on TV, Hawaii News Now, give them credit. They had me on there for like eight minutes and they did a full blow up of the story and they had visuals and it was just powerful. And I, and because of who I am as a military guy, saying, I'm a Marine, but we need to shut this down. No one questions my love of the military or my commitment to our country in that regard. I said, we got to shut this down. We're, it's environmental terrorism is what it is. The congressional delegation, all Democrats drug their feet because they were told by uh, Secretary of the Navy, Mabus, so you have a Democrat president, Biden, who I wouldn't trust with my car keys. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. Uh, you have uh, Sec Def Austin, Secretary of Defense, Democrat. You have Secretary of the Navy, Mabus, Democrat. And our entire delegation are all Democrats. And this thing is still not shut down. How is that possible? The media now, so Austin, so, so when I go public, all of a sudden, now the environmental Democrats, the grassroots folks are going nuts because here's this conservative knuckle dragger, McDermott, 
out there saying, hey, we should shut down Red Hill. And the delegation was getting pressure, but they still wouldn't come out for a closure. They kept saying, we're going to defuel, defuel. Okay, I read the defueling order. What that means is empty the tanks, find the hole, fix the hole, come back in and get your permit and refill them. The Democratic delegation, and they're all Democrats in charge of this. If Trump was president... Brian Schatz's whole mythology... The mythology is the environment. He's climate hawk. Self-described climate hawk on his Twitter. Self-described. You and know what I say? You know what climate change is? And I, I don't know if you know this. I ran PERG for Hawaii for a time. You ran what? The Public Interest Research Group, a left-wing environmental no, organization when I first got out of the Army, uh, running, the Clean Water Act, running the Clean Water Act. But what I, I learned was within Rush Limbaugh would call them watermelons. Green on the outside, red on the inside was 100% true. No authentic concern for the environment. And what global warming has become, as trans ideology has become, is a dog you put in the, a bone you put in the mouth of the dog so it will not bark and it will not bite. And so all these people who claim they have, um, they have a natural, which is in us, a natural human desire to care for the environment so that they feel like they're caring for the environment, they put climate change in their mouth so they're not going to bark and bite on clean water, clean air, and it took a Republican. You know, when I was at the University of Hawaii, there was an environmentalist kid in, my cl- in, in one of my classes, and I came in late, and he had on a T-shirt that said, um, Stop Clubbing Baby Seals. And so I said in front of the whole class, his name was Josh, I said, Josh, do you think there has ever been a student at the University of Hawaii that has clubbed a baby seal? Do you think there will ever be a student that clubs a baby seal? I said, well, you're... I didn't, I didn't use the, the, the expression virtue signaling. I'm like, you are not developing. You need to challenge the student body on something that we're doing. Like, I'm fighting abortion. We're having abortions. It's hard. People get mad at me. One day, you're going to be in a position of power, and you'll have never known what it's like to stand up to your own community against an ill that they're participating in. And that's shots. He could not. He doesn't care about the environment. He could not stand up to powerful interest in his own community for the sake of his community so it took bob mcdermott who fought for families on um the perversion they were putting in schools who fought for life who you recognize that when you stand up against something that's real it comes with a boot in the face yeah brian schatz has never gotten a boot in the face no no he hasn't but it was really interesting and being the lone whistleblower a whistleblower if you will being the lone elected official to call for the closure of this, which has economic impacts because Hawaii is a military state, and we don't know the discussions behind the scenes. I've heard things that, you know, the, they pull out their ships or something. I don't know if that's true. I doubt it because most of the fuel is used by the Air Force, quite frankly. Uh, a lot of our vessels are now nuclear-powered. Or, or is, Anyway, it's not 1942 anymore. We don't need it. And the enemy has bunker buster bombs. They can get in there and smash it. Imagine if they smashed. Yeah, no water. Yeah, our water is gone. Yeah. Hawaii is already the most food insecure place in the world. Yeah, I know the, that's a passion of yours. Yeah, we're, yeah well, you know, I, thought, well, I always thought we're food insecure, but we got water. Yeah. And to realize that now we really are the most food insecure place in the world. And our water, what, 1.4 million people? For 1.4 million people is one bunker buster away from being undrinkable. That that's correct. And Jason, what happened 
it, going long story short, as I broke the story, I tried to stay out in front of it, and I have to a degree, but now the media has frozen me out. Because the bandwagon's gotten pretty damn big. Quite, there's not, In fact, it got so big, they threw me off. Right, I was the original driver. I'm throwing off the bandwagon. Secretary Austin came out with a statement, an aspirational statement. I want to close Red Hill. Front page of the paper. They're going to close Red Hill. They're going to close Red Hill, which is the name of the fuel uh, storage. And uh, that's it. The storage dead. We, we're ceasing operations. It, uh, you know, all this military jargon, which I know because I've been there. I've lived it. I said, wait a minute. What's their main mission? It's storing oil. There's still 200 million gallons of oil sitting above our drinking water. And there is no date to close it. There's not even a target window of, say, 2025 or 2026. There's nothing. And I'm convinced that Schatz did this because he, this inside baseball, he was voting no on all of the DOD appointees as a signal. In fact, uh, David Shapiro, a news, news reporter, said he was holding some of these appointees until the DOD did something substantive on Red Hill. So Austin releases a statement, but there's no follow through. And now we're told it's going to be emptied when it's quote-unquote safe. And they've identified over 200 deficiencies. Oh, really? Where were these 200 deficiencies before? You know, when they were telling me that it was safe. So now it's unsafe to empty. It's unsafe to empty. Yeah, that's ironic. I'm going to use that line. It's unsafe at any speed. I think we need to outline, maybe I'll write an op-ed on this, outlining the types of weapons that China has that can easily puncture that Red Hill facility, yes. and then immediately making all of our water undrinkable. In fact, we're doing China a favor. We're, you know, this is how we project power to the east. Oh, the reason I've been, as you know, for two decades, I've been obsessed with food security. I wrote my book, "The Race to Save Our Century." I got in the nineties. It dawned on me how vulnerable Hawaii was, and how the twenty-first century will be a tinderbox, and Oahu will be a site of the greatest famine in the twenty-first century. I wrote. I was inspired to write that book. I thought to save my community, I have to save the world. Um, so we're the most food insecure place in the world. We, we, we will be ground zero of World War Three if it's a Pacific War. That's just that's the truth. Because the command control is right here. Paycom is here, and to know that all and the, the Chinese aren't stupid. Uh, one bunker buster, and there, you've got one point four million people who can't drink water. Right. Not to mention, we'll be starving to death. So. Instead of taking us a couple of months to to uh, to to pass into history as a, as a as a living vibrant community, it'll just be a matter of days. That that needs to be emptied now. So you're running for U.S. Senate. Yeah, and and that's part of it. Um, and I was getting a lot of traction, but if you the the local newspaper, it's like I'm missing an action. You can't. They go out of their way not to publish my name because they like shots and they, they like fear the you. I mean, I want. You're, you're the front runner for the nomination. We're a Republican for the yeah. Republican nomination. Um, and if 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 the thing is, you're they know you've won not one but two districts that have are Democrat districts. districts. Yeah. yeah, you've won in two different districts. Have you ever lost a? a, a oh, I've a, lost. No, have you ever lost a race for local at local level? I well, Board of Education, which is a statewide. Okay, I think that was twenty years ago. But once I get in, people are happy with the. Well, job and well, what happens is I've noticed in Hawaii. 
we have a lot of good guys in the state house because you don't need the paper to get to folks. You can knock on every door. That's correct. So they know if people hear Bob McDermott, he wins. Yeah, it, so it's hard that, work. It's not money. It's hard work. But you can't knock on every door in the state, so you need no. to break through. So we're trying to so the, we're trying to do that through Facebook, and we have the issues on our side. Red Hill, I'm still banging the drum, but the media won't even cover it. You know, they're violating the Clean Air Act, right? I put this press release out. You know, anywhere else in the country, violation of the Clean Air Act is front page story. They built these ginormous tanks in 1942 that just evaporate straight into the atmosphere. Now, down the street, Chevron has to have filters set up to do that. But this is World War II. So they, you know, I told Civil Bead, and that's a, well, the, we call the Department of Health. They don't know anything about it, and neither does the Navy. Well, of course they don't, but I've got internal documents, which I... You should find a study that shows how gasoline in the water disproportionately impacts LGBTQ+. There you go. Or transgender. Yeah, yeah. Then a what? <laughs> yeah, yes, we found that uh, the LGBTQ+, are disproportionately impacted by drinking gasoline. Yeah. So it's uh, ironic. So... On one hand, I'm the leader in that. On the other hand, I'm saying, hey, our people are paying $6 a gallon for gasoline as of today, which could go up by the time this is broadcast. But I'm saying, look, we, we America sits on an ocean of natural gas and oil and fuel. We don't have to beg the terrorists of the world, Iran, Saudi Arabia, all these different countries that don't really like us that much, beg them to pump more oil. But Biden is so, and Schatz agrees with him. They don't care, these local families, and you know this better than I do. The local family living in a three-story walk-up in, in inner-city Honolulu, uh, how, how they survive? they got to take the kids to soccer practice, which is often a field a couple miles away. They load up the car. They come back, just like you when you were a young kid, living in Aliamana with your you know, your family. How do you get around? Well, you have to use an automobile. You can't all get on the bus. It's not like New York City where you have seamless transportation. We have a great bus system, but We it's used to until they started closing down routes to push for rail. <clears throat> well, but any, so then you go, okay, so rail, our congressional delegation has told the city and county, don't ask us for any more money. I go back to Dan Anoe. Dan Inouye's job was I'm here to make the lives better of the people I represent. And he believed that. He did. And he did that. Yes. I could disagree with him on a whole host of issues, yes. but I believed that he was fighting for his community. He was. In fact, he says, Hawaii, look, he, he, he was known as the king of pork. He said, Hawaii's the luau state. We love our pig. <laughs> That's true. But, you know, then you had, you had guys like Abercrombie that broke through that became – they, they found that this was a small state and these national ideologically driven organizations could buy a house seat quite reasonably. Yeah. And so now our congressional delegation from top to bottom does nothing but represent distant interests. Yes. They don't, they don't represent the local people. Now, you've been around a long time. You know that a, one United States senator if they're motivated, can do a lot. You know that two of them from the state, the same state, can shut down the Senate. And they haven't shut down the Senate over Red Hill, and they're not going to. In fact, I was t told early on, I talked to a, a defense contractor who was at a 
they get invited to these dinners with the Secretary of Navy was in town. And I asked him just casually, I said, I can't understand why our delegation, these climate hawks, aren't coming out in full closure of this facility. And they were told, and I'm quoting the gentleman, you don't want to be on the wrong side of the president, unquote. So that's why they kept their mouths shut. And he might call corn pop on you. Corn pop, yeah. <laughs> he might send corn pop. You know what, what's his name? The big man. Yeah, the, the big, big man, man might send corn pop after you. Yeah, that's funny, but that's so. That was the explanation. So I pointed out to the media, look, there's no closure date. They haven't started anything. They're doing studies. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're what they're doing is buying time, as you know, because you've been in the military. Unless you have a date certain, it ain't going to happen. No, no, you know, you don't want to get, in, you know what I say? You don't want to be on the wrong side of the president. I do not want to be on the wrong side of my constituents, children and grandchildren. How about that? Yeah. Imagine if Trump was president, you know, our entire delegation, all Democrats would be claiming environmental racism. He won't close this uh, fuel dump down because if indigenous peoples are here, they're brown and we don't like them. And so screw it. That's what they would say. You know that. Yeah. Rumsfeld was sec deaf. Everything's Trump. politics oh. to these people. Everything's politics to these people. And one thing I know about you is you're, you're running because you care about the community. Right. The number one and two issues for the state of Hawaii should be food security. Well, three. Food security, um, water security, and national security. We are very vulnerable. China's off is unhinged. The CCP is unhinged. And if Water you security, can I use that? Yeah. Okay. No. Look, I never once in a million years thought I would have to worry about our water supply. I have been obsessed with our food since studying the famines in the, in in China. And I realized in 1994 when they swept, we were a net ag exporting country. You know, Bob, this is one thing I'd like you to bring up. Um, when you and I came here, you remember when we used to get the black snow? The, the little specks of black when they would oh, burn down the sugar, sugar cane. And this was an, the, the local community was knit together. Let's, I'm going to be blunt. A lot of Republicans don't like when, and conservatives like when I use this language. It's just true. The economy here was knit together by the exploitation of desperate communities that they brought here from Okinawa, from the Philippines, sure. from Ilocos Norte, from Japan, from China. They brought folks here. They tried to bring the Scandinavians here. They got sunsick. It's true. I don't know if you know that no. story. The first people they brought to work in the plantations for like were from Norway. Didn't go well. Really? <laughs> yeah. Didn't go well. It, it like lasted a season. But because um, they got sun poisoning, right? They, they got sick. Burned. Yeah, they got sunburned. So just as those communities were making their way into management in the agriculture industry, it was swept away by transnational agreements. Yes. Swept away. Then the local hotels, all the local hotel chains we used to have and gone swept away. So now if you work for Marriott or any of these companies, you to go up, you gotta go out. To get promoted, you gotta go out. It's they are, I believe it is by design, wiping away the community that was knit together, the most unique and beautiful community in the world. Now native Hawaiians cannot live in Hawaii and they're being swept away. And I believe that agriculture is how we can build a working and middle class. But agriculture is necessary for us to sustain ourselves in this next is this turbulent century, and of course, at the heart of that is water. We we have all the agricultural land we need, particularly on the Big Island, to to plant things and grow things. But our policies, um, 
locally, and I'm not talking about the Jones Act, I'm just talking about local land use policies have made it next to impossible. How can you not make a living as a rancher on the Big Island? I mean, you've got free grazing land, right? Well, it's not so free. You have to get the state to okay it. You can only run your cattle through there certain times of the year because the envi- you know, they're going to poop and the environmentalists don't like that, on and on and on. We set up so many barriers um, that were our own worst enemy. Now they're poisoning. They're putting out bait to poison the pigs, the boar. But what about the local families that hunt and snare? And there are quite a few. And they're eating that. Yeah. With poison in their belly. I, I didn't know that. <clears throat> yeah, I'll get you information on that. And I, and I said, wait, this, this is the wrong time to try to eradicate boar. I tell you what, right now, wait till next year. Because it's going to be a rough 12 months. Well, Molokai has tremendous access deer population everybody has deer hanging in their backyard they're doing it with the access deer as well yeah they're poisoning them because they i'm sorry i messed up i said boar it was the deer deer. yeah they're poisoning the access deer right but well they i know they're trying to mitigate the population because they have so many of them Mm -hmm. there's no natural predators there right so but the people can if so if we were smart we'd set up a manufacturing plant provide the seed cord the land the seed corn for the investor yeah hey so and so come on in and put up a deer production plant and harvest them and sell them worldwide hawaii deer you know lean 93 percent lean it's good venison you know there'd be joe rogan loves it yeah joe you go on the joe rogan show he'd be all about it well joe's a good guy i like him um well so this is i mean hawaii is is the most vulnerable community in the developed world and you know the local folks when i first moved here in the late 80s every friday saturday and sunday there'd be huge parties yes. sometimes at banquet halls or families or and i you know there'd I'd be there'd be 500 people there'd be me and like one maybe one other white guy or black guy we'd see each other across the room we'd wave <laughs> yay and that doesn't happen anymore because everyone's working two jobs well everybody working two jobs i think everybody's the, the left wants us to do to, to live with less. They don't want us to live with abundance. They don't want us taking a trip around the island in our car. And if it is, it's got to be an electric car, which is powered by uh, coal. coal and oil, right? Uh, but to, to go back to things, so water security, clean water, that's the closer of Red Hill is my issue. I can get it done in 18 months after taking office. I will do that. And if I can't, I won't run for re-election. Because how could I look my neighbors in the eye and say, well, you know, I didn't do it, but keep me in there. I'll protect your Social Security. Yeah, baloney. If I can't do it in 18 months in my first term, I'm not going to run for re-election. I, I don't need it. A second is gas, right? The price of gas is just crazy, and it hurts the low-income people. People like my family that lives 20 miles from the city who are stuck in traffic all day it costs 10 bucks just to come into town with no traffic. 10 bucks, uh, two gallons of gas, right? 10, you know, each way. And, and it's just our senator doesn't care. He wants everybody in an electric car, which are built in China, by the way. And 94% of the chips are built in Taiwan, which China's going to take over. And the rare earth minerals are going to making those yes. batteries are harvested by child labor. You know, it's just, we have lost our minds. We have lost our mind. We raped the environment on the other side of the world, uh, the exploitation of children. Yes. And they feel good about themselves. I won't buy these NBA 
guys with their sneakers. They're all produced by the Uyghurs, these kids in child labor camps. You t- and they charge you $150 for the shoes, and the kids are getting paid 2 bucks a pair, if that, right? 2 bucks a day, I'm sorry. And, and it's terrible, and these guys don't care because it's all about money. Uh, I didn't want to used to believe that. You know, they say the left is motivated by power. Uh, I, you know, you and I are motivated by doing the right thing. We see wrong, we want to correct it. Uh, that's what we're motivated by. And this nonsense that we see all around us at the federal level, whether it's the transgender ideology, whether it's the self-inflicted recession due to these outrageous energy policies that the Biden administration has, or not doing the right thing with regard to our water resources or our food resources, as you were talking about. None of these things are we focused on. They always talk about housing here in Hawaii. We have a housing shortage. What are you going to do? Listen, guys, we live in the most beautiful spot in the world. We're on an island. Land, and you know this better than anybody, land is finite. People will come here and work for less and are willing to pay more for their housing because that's the cost of paradise. We're not Arkansas. We're not, we're not 90% humidity outside Memphis, Tennessee in the summer where you walk out of your house and in two minutes you're drenched in sweat. We got a cool trade breeze. We don't have any flies. We don't have any snakes. And, you have, <laughs> and, and then the, for the local community, they have 27 aunts, 120 first cousins. Yes. I mean, it's just to leave. Last night... I, um, a friend of mine had passed away tragically, a very young man last year, if you remember, committed suicide. And I came here, um, he'd suffered with depression. He was on medicine. So it's, a, he, he plummeted from his apartment here in Waikiki. So last night I went out to, um, have, I went to a trivia night at a bar with the sister and, and, um, so I wanted to go see his wife, my friend who passed away his wife. So we couldn't get a hold of her. My friend said, you gotta see my apartment. So she took me to show her apartment. It's $2,300 a month. I said, this is a mortgage for a mansion in Texas. And um, she said, but Jason, I have cousin, aunties, uncles, family. I, I can never leave. And it was funny. Then, her, then my friend's wife, you'll love this. My friend's wife called us and she said, hey, where are you guys? She's from Japan. She's Japanese. And uh, we could see her apartment about five blocks away because this was a low-level apartment. We could see her skyscraper. We could see her TV was on. And uh, I said, flash your lights. She flashed your lights. And we were looking at binoculars. She had binoculars. I had binoculars. And we were waving at each other. You know, this is, it's the, the local folks here, we need to do something to pre- make it so that they can live here. You know, tragically, where I moved to in Texas in the German Hill Country, we have so many friends from Hawaii. We have parties, hundreds of slippers in the front of our house. Our neighbor said to us, Jason, um, you know, you've only been here a year. You have more friends than us. You have these big parties. Who are all those people? How do you know them? I'm like, those are all of our friends from Hawaii. He said, all those people. I said, all go look at the front of the house. When you see all those slippers and shoes in the front of the house, you know, that's a Hawaii party. But the locals in this town we moved to in Hill Country. You, By the way, just for your listeners, when you say slippers, we're not talking... Love oh, flip-flops. Mike Lindell's my slipper. You're talking about flip-flops. Well, I have those, and you can get them too. <laughs> Use the code Jones, mypillow.com. I have them. They're awesome. It's like I say when you're wearing them, it's like you're walking on the floor of the Ritz-Carlton, the Trump Hotel presidential suite. But, yeah, no, but you know what the locals say in, in the town we moved to in Texas? All these rich people from Hawaii are moving here, driving up the cost of our homes so the local kids can't buy homes. Isn't that strange how it works? 
So investors are buying up all the property here from Asia and other places, right. driving up so people, imagine being, people don't get this, Bob, starting median home value in here is $1.2 million. That's a starter home. That's a home that would be $180,000 in a suburb of Chicago, if that. If that. And it's $1.2 million right now. You know, and, and then the, the, maybe the wife's an accountant and the husband cuts meat at the grocery store and they drive Uber and, and they have a little side business and they're barely making ends meet and they're looking at a home with $900,000 equity in it. That's a temptation that's really ripping our families right. apart. And how do young people buy homes? So it is a real challenge, right? How do we, I think it is important that our elected officials say, how do we keep our community intact, our families intact? This is very important. Yeah, you know, we have a, uh, not to digress, by the way, if people want to find out about me, votemcdermott.com, if you don't mind that shameless plug. <laughs> it does not, uh, can do, this is not, we, that doesn't mean I'm endorsing him. No, Vote for no. mcdermott.com. Votemcdermott.com. Anyway, you get to see my family and my my lesson. He wants you to see his family because they're they're good looking. Yes, and he's not. That's correct. <laughs> but but uh, look at the family. It's like a sleight of hand. Don't look at me. Yeah, and that's. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. If it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't. Have, I've been married thirty five years. I wouldn't have got elected to anything. And I'm well, you have strangely. I don't know how you <laughs> did. The most beautiful, gracious. Well, um, woman in the world is a wife and she um and a, and a devout catholic i might add yes takes her faith got a, had her master's degree in theology i believe she's a catholic chaplain at the Kapiolani women's and children's hospital okay so she got certified and, and i didn't realize the catholic faith we actually had chaplains i didn't know that mm. but we do it's just a few of them because most of them would either become deacons or priests yeah but for a woman that's the only alternative and they're program of study is more rigorous than the deacons believe it or not because my wife went to school with the deacons. well you, my my daughter has a degree in theology went to school with your wife for a semester oh, or two and she loved it and she said Ooh, you're such a good student uh, she cares she cares uh, that's and tell princess we said hi um I, matter of fact my wife wants to get her address so we can send her a check for yeah her. now she's married to a navy man it, i didn't know that yeah she got married mm-hmm. but I didn't yeah, who started a rosary, a weekly rosary on his ship. He had left the faith because his best friend died when he was 10. And he said to his mother, I don't want to go to church again. I'm mad at God. He never went to church again. Uh, raised by his mom, uh, who's from, his mom's from Guatemala in Virginia, uh, in a Navy town, joined, was a Navy ROTC, went right into the Navy after high school. And he'd been wanting to date my, my daughter for like a year. And finally, my daughter said, if you really want to go out, I picked a date. And their first date was she took him to confession and then mass. And wow. now he's a very devout Catholic who, even on his ship, he started a weekly rosary. Wow, that, that's impressive. In fact, well, you'll get a kick out of this. When I work out in the mornings, I'll listen on my phone to the rosary as I'm lifting weights. I know it's not the most conducive thing, but it gets <laughs> me in the right mental space for yeah. the day. That positive mental nutrition. I mean, you may not be the best looking elected yeah. official, but you're the the, the buff. Yeah. You probably have the biggest bench press. I did till I hurt my back. But uh, what was your highest bench press? I was just looking the other day. Uh, three forty fives on each side. So is well, that three fifteen? That's math right there. No, three fifteen is. Yeah, I guess that's three plates. What was your deadlift? I. So you're you how old are you? Well, now I'm fifty eight. 315 for 58 is not so bad. Well, I don't do that anymore. 
can't. So well, I mean, you were doing that in your fifties, though. Yeah, but I've lost a lot of weight too. Right? So, You're looking good. All right. So, um, anyway, so the three issues are, you know, close down the Red Hill fuel dump, and that's the right thing to do. Um, gas prices for our local people, and um, certainly the family-friendly policies, and and of course the food security as well. But the 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 tr- we started off on this tangent of how the trans stuff got into all these schools nationwide. And that is through the supplementary materials. So there's nothing in writing where you can point to a curriculum or curricula that says, Oh, look, see, that's baloney. That's not scientific. No. And when they say age appropriate, that's determined by Planned Parenthood. It's not a, 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 a child psychiatrist or a board of child psychiatrists, child therapists, family therapists. It's probably identified with polling. They probably what is age appropriate is what they can, how far can they push it today? I and I, not get kicked back. I researched this and I in fact introduced an amendment and said for age appropriate the DOE needs to have these people on uh, the board uh, to determine this uh, psychosomatic medicine, child psychiatrists, child therapists. You know, all these experts, pediatrician, OBGYN, you know, a wide range of expertise. They don't have it. They have a master's of public health stuck at the University of Hawaii. This is who did that program I was talking about, who's totally, who works for, literally works for Planned Parenthood. And they're the ones who determine what's age appropriate. So, and medically accurate. That's the other one, medically accurate. Well, okay, so now we're talking about mutilating children and we call that... But ge- they don't know what a woman is. They don't know what a woman is. They think the anus is a genital. They call it gender affirming when it's gender mutilation. It's not affirming this... Look at that guy, Richard Levine. My goodness, what an embarrassment this guy is. He suffers from gender dysphoria. He has a psychological disorder. And he they trot him around. And he's supposed to give us advice on how to raise our kids? I mean, you're saying things that if politicians say... The council police can come at you like a, 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 a cultural revolution to, to to lynch you. Yeah, they do. And but what you're just saying is it's just true. true. It's true, and that's your protection. But if you back away and say, "Geez, I'm sorry, I insulted Richard." No, I pray for you. I care about you. I want you to get the therapy that you need. But you are a man. Biologically, you're a man. Now, if you, my guy, office manager Keith Roman, God bless him. He's retired now, living in Texas. He said, Bob, you know what these trans people are doing? And uh, by the way, my wife's cousin lived with me 25 years ago who was a transgender. Well, in Hawaii, I mean, I don't want to go on another tangent. It's it's a part of the culture that's been handled in a very beautiful way. Different way. Yeah. You had Joe Jordan, who is identifies as lesbian, yeah. who came out and said... That I don't, I didn't run for office to represent "quote unquote" pride. I I ran for office to represent the my values community. of Native Hawaiians that live in my community as a Native Hawaiian, and she got nuked. She did. She got nuked, and she said something. We've been dealing with this for centuries in a co- kind, compassionate, loving way. We don't need angry people from the mainland coming here telling us how we're supposed to be. That that's correct. Uh, that's my wife's Samoan, so the Samoan term for that is "fafafingi." So one day my wife's cousin shows up on the doorstep, no place to go. We're both, I'm fresh out of the Marine Corps. My neck is still red. You know, this is 1987. 
and he has no place to live. So, so he comes into our house and, uh, the poor guy, I, his brother was living with us, which, uh, his older brother. And I told his brother, I said, uh, George, I said, George, Tommy is going to get hurt. He goes by the name Leilani and he was taking the pills of female hormones. He was petite. And this is in the eighties. This is the eighties. He was petite to begin with, had long, beautiful hair. He'd cinch the belt around his waist real tight to create the illusion of hips. And, you know, I said, Tommy, military guys, two or three drinks, they don't know Tommy is a Tommy, is Leilani. He pretends as a woman, get all makeup on. And, and I don't even know if he had a visible Adam's apple. I couldn't, I don't remember. But I, so I go back in the Marines. I lose track of them several years later. I'm back in Hawaii. I'm watching the news. Transvestite prostitute, and that's what they called him then, uh, killed outside Schofield Barracks. He was prostituting, picked up an African-American fella. Guy found out that Tommy was... Yeah, this is when I was in the military. I remember that. They found out Tommy was uh, was 92, I think. Tommy was a, a, a man and beat the crap out of him, and he died. So yeah. my at that time, my thing was, okay, is this a hate crime? You have one well, and I would say, so people who are listening to this, that they would say, like, yeah, we need to protect these people, and we agree. But there's a difference between protecting people from violence and con- convincing six-year-olds to take pills yes. and get mutilated. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, that's the thing about conservatives. Look, I don't want anyone to feel outcast, have anxiety, hate themselves. No. I don't want any... I, I would hate that my words ever hurt someone's feelings. But don't push your agenda on us. Yeah. Don't tell me how to raise my kids, Dr. Levine. Yeah, and, work your you issues have, out on your yeah, own. Well, you have a clearly, a but keep your issues off of my. Yeah, yeah, you don't keep your issues away from my kids. Because Doctor Levine, with all due respect, you're pretending. <laughs> you're pretending to be a woman. You're actually a man, and no amount of mutilation to your external organs is going to change that. Well, and he did win the Babylon Bee Man of the Year Award. <laughs> yeah, that was a big brouhaha about that. They, they took Babylon Bee off the... Uh, Babylon Bee, I've never envied anyone. I envy those writers. They Who are these people? Oh. They're unbelievable. You know, the youth pro-life movement, these guys are off the hinge, funny, joyful. The, the future, I think, is ours, you know, and um, Babylon Bee is funnier than Saturday Night Live or any of these late night shows. Oh, yeah. It's just really unbelievable. Yeah. And um, so I was coming in. Jordan Peterson got uh, banned from Twitter today. Today? Today? Today. Aye, aye, aye. And and because he said... uh, They've been waiting to ban him. This surgery, this this Ellen who had surgery used to be Alan or something. Okay. He mentioned that. And because of that, he mentioned his previous gender. He was banned. And so, well, I haven't had Twitter. Yeah. I do have an account. I've never even used it. Someone set it up, insisted I cancel my Twitter when they fired the president. By the way, I would have canceled my Twitter if the president were Biden because that's unbelievable. I don't want to be a part of a platform that is that transcends our political system and is that totalitarian. Yeah. Now, we only I've had I've kept you a very long kind of, time. Yeah. And I know. But this is a question I want to ask you. Um this is my first show uh every Saturday I'm going to release a show that's that, that has broad interest, but I want to focus on Hawaii. So I'm going to ask you a question as someone who has concern for the state. Um, 
how do we keep the community here intact? How do we preserve it? Because as I see things right now, when I come back here in 20 years, it will be not the families that have knit this community together and built this community will have been all washed away to the mainland unless we have leadership that does something. What can, and I didn't give you this question ahead of time. It's no. a big question. So, what, you know, as, as a U.S. Senator, what can you do to help knit together, you know, the children that live here today of the Native Hawaiians and those who worked in the plantation system, this is their inheritance. And if they choose to live here and stay here and raise their families here, they should have that option. And as it is now, a lot of people do not really have that option. What can you do as a U.S. Senator to keep this community alive and intact? It's a, a very good question. Um, aside from my three priorities, there, there is a fella who you're talking about the cost of housing primarily. I mean, food, housing, food, housing. there's no upward mobility. You can't go into management. If you're working at one of these hotel chains, your promotion is you got to move to Vegas. You got to move to San Francisco. You got to move to New York. Um, you know, in, unless you are an ophthalmologist or a dentist or an accountant or a lawyer, I mean, there's really no um, real middle-class opportunity for the average kid. That, that's absolutely correct. We are uh, an island of haves and have-nots with very little in between. And the ones in between, like me, are struggling to stay there. Um, we spend all our money and time on our family. That's our priority. My wife and I have eight kids. We had three of our own, then we adopted five. Um, so people say, uh, good for you. Well, it really has been good for me because God has smiled on me at least more than once. I know for a fact, uh, he's taken care of me and cause I'm taking care of those children. They're all grown now. Do you want to, we're going to take a break here for a minute. No, hold on. No, you keep going, keep okay. going. So the, the, the answer to your question would be, um, there's a gentleman by the name of Peter Savio who's developed some housing plans uh, for the state of Hawaii that would work, meaning we become an international destination, an international uh, investment opportunity. If you go by Ala Moana right down the street from here, you, Jason, you see uh, all these luxury condominiums that are empty. They're being bought as investments. I have friends that live there, and uh, I just I, I dropped a friend off, uh, my son's friend off there, and very successful family. They have a great business. And I said, you know, what percentage of the families that live here are local? Oh, not many, not at all. No, because they can't afford it. A lot, of, a lot from China. Yeah. And they said, you know, that you, you know, they come here maybe a month or two months a year. Sa Savio, Peter Savio, has developed a whole uh, litany of ideas to – enable local people to buy housing uh, and realize a portion of the equity, but that housing is not at, it doesn't go back on the market. Meaning you could buy rental housing, you buy into a rental unit, uh, you're a working class family, there's income uh, levels, and I'm getting in the weeds here, but say you live there and over 10 years, the price of the unit has gone up in accordance with the income level, you can sell it, get a little bit of equity, but not a lot, but at least you've developed, you're not renting where you get nothing. So you're enabled to get a little seed corn, if you will, 
to move on to a home or another vehicle. But you have to be local, earning a certain amount of money to get into this state or federal, if you will, community. You bring up the Native Hawaiians. The federal government uh, owes the Native Hawaiians quite a bit, and uh, I would work for them on that too as well. Yeah, it's important. Probably, so for those listening, there was a knock on the door. Every time I record and I have the Do Not Disturb sign, they don't see the sign. Oh, is it the housekeeper? Yeah, housekeeper. Every time, every time. So, well, no, that's, I mean, look, it's a complex. And this is why. Savio I, has the answer, so he you does. Know, I've listened to him. I was at a trivia night at one of the local bars with my friends, and um, I was a ringer. And uh, at the end, I pulled us from, there were like 22 teams. They got us to third place. They said, if you weren't here, we wouldn't have been there. I mean, we made it to third place. Um, but the, one of the young men there said to me, uh, well, I'm not a conservative or a liberal. I'm a libertarian. You know, that's what a lot of people like to say. Oh, I'm a libertarian because it's politically correct. You can say you're a libertarian and not be hated right. by either side. Right. Right. It's, it's the nice thing to say. It's like when people ask you what your hobbies are, like I like long walks on the beach, <laughs> like sunsets and playing basketball. But the reason why I'm a conservative and not a libertarian is because I do think that state, local, and even the federal government to a much, 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 much lesser degree has a role to play in preserving the common good. And, um, and I think that our elected officials have to take a real hard look at how do we protect the folks whose families built these communities so they can continue to live here. So, yeah. and, but, of course, the foundation is those three issues. And it's not easy. And I think a lot of it is it's grassroots. It's, it's something I, I left. But a lot of people are going to have to say, I'm not leaving I'm going to fight to preserve my restaurant. I'm going to fight to preserve my medical practice. I'm going to fight to start a local brewery. All these different, you know, it's going to take people who are going to really be willing to fist fight um, to make a place for people to live what, here. What you, and we'll close with this, what you pointed out is where does uh, the average young person go to get started, to earn their way up, to get that upward mobility? The opportunities here are very limited. You said, you know, if you're in retail, you could be Liberty House. But now you're working at Macy's. And then, again, if you want to go up, you got to go out. Yeah. And, and, but if you stay here 25 or 30 years like I have, you, you develop relationships. And then if you try and be a good person, do the right thing, the opportunities will come. It's just like the old story, you know, wherever you go, people say, well, how is – Arkansas, or how is L.A.? Well, it's what you make of it, anywhere you go, right? So just like you, you you went to Texas. You're still doing great. Uh, you, I would suggest you probably have a larger reach now than you did when you were here because you were in the middle. You know, if I didn't go to Texas, my organization would not have been in a position because COVID hit everyone hard. And my nonprofit is funded by movies that we market my public and my public speaking. And so that was sort of my clever way to build a nonprofit that wasn't dependent primarily on donors. Mm. And so when there were no more movies in theaters to market and all of my speaking events for two years were canceled, it became really, it was, it was a devastating blow. And so I wasn't able to take a salary for a year moving to Hawaii, buying a house. I mean, moving to the mainland, buying a house in cash not and having money that basically was the equivalent of a year of my salary left it allowed me to survive continue to run my organization and then we were in a position to respond to the crisis in afghanistan 
um, which led to tens of thousands of people being alive today that wouldn't have been alive. And so although leaving here has been a great sorrow, what has made it, I don't regret it at all, is our ability to have responded in Afghanistan the way we did, which would have been utterly impossible. Uh, it, w- it wouldn't have happened. And um, so, there, I mean, that's the trade-off. Hey, I don't want to bore your listeners. Let's, uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, we've been talking a long time. Yeah. yeah, anyway, Jason, thanks for having me on. It's good to see you. We'll talk offline. No, what's the website again, Rep? VoteMcDermott.com. So, hey, this is better place to record than that hot garage next to my weight bench, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> So, hey, guys, I'm going to wrap this up. This has been my first uh, Saturday Hawaii special with State Representative Bob McDermott. Uh, Go to votemcdermott.com. Check it out and uh, see if he's the kind of guy you want to support. This episode is being brought to you by MyPillow.com. Go to MyPillow.com. Use the code Jones for the deep discounts. Go to iReadEpoch.com. And Jason Jones gets you the best price on your digital and print subscriptions. And... I will tell you what is weighing on me right now. I have to raise in the next two weeks to meet our obligation for care of not not really to meet our obligation. In the past month, uh, several large NGOs have pulled out of Pakistan, leaving Afghan refugees on the street, and we have picked them up. And I have to raise about $200,000 in the next four weeks to be able to pick them up, and, and which we have, and continue to provide for their shelter uh, and their food. So we need your help. Go to thegreatcampaign.org, give your best one-time gift, and please also become a monthly donor. Um, those monthly gifts uh, mean a lot. We have a guy in Syria who donates $2 a month, and that's a, a lot for him. We've communicated. Um, but the, to know that we have funds coming in every month allows us to budget and prepare to meet uh, the needs of the most vulnerable people in the world. And as I say, people who are vulnerable, they're not weak. They're strong people who have been thrust into impossible situations. And so for those of us who have been blessed and who are privileged to be living in a, in a lifeboat, in a rowboat, uh, we, we need to uh, throw them a helpline. All right, that's thegreatcampaign.org. Until tomorrow, as we continue the 49 days in a row celebration of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. It's been the Jason Jones Show. This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Mm-hmm.